listening to Mosaic, a Jesus-centered communities podcast. Our goal is to help people experience a Jesus-centered life. You can find out more about us at welcometomosaic.info. We invite you to subscribe to this podcast as well as rate and review it so others can hear it as well. Enjoy the message. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go, show yourself to the priests and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more so that the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Good morning. Uh, My name is Taylor. I'm the next-gen pastor. Uh, I got to experience tribal wars. What they don't tell you is, especially after color wars, the hours of going home and trying to scrub off colored powder off your body and waking up the next day with still green stuck in your ear. Uh, It's a lot of fun. It's very messy. Uh, It's so much fun, though. Uh, But as I was preparing for today, a theme of the underdog kept popping up. Uh, There's a commentator who described the gospel of Luke as the gospel of the underdog. We're an upside-down kingdom, so it makes sense. I think we all enjoy underdog stories. It's probably why a lot of you are checking your phones to see how the Broncos are doing, because they're typically the underdog. Uh, We still have a a draw to these, Uh, but you can't really go a year without seeing some news story or sports story of an underdog, and we just root for them. And I'm, I've grown up a Cowboys fan, but even last year, uh, there's a player who was drafted last, and his name is Mr. Irrelevant, is what they always call the last person draft. His name is Brock Purdy, ended up being the starting quarterback of the 49ers, and me being a Cowboys fan, I would never root for the 49ers, but I was like, this is a cool story. This is a guy who was drafted last and then went on to win five, six games in a row. It's a cool story. We're drawn to these underdog Stories is the reason I can watch movies like Miracle or Remember the Titans or Moneyball. We just love underdog stories. I think it's ingrained in us. And the Gospel of Luke is a Gospel of underdog because Luke spends a lot of time and ink focusing on people that the Jews saw as less than. And just to be clear, uh, we always we confuse sometimes underdog stories in the Bible as God's never the underdog. He uses people who are seen as less than and does miraculous things with them. It's always, you see a story of David and Goliath. People are like, oh, David is such an underdog. He was never an underdog in that story because he had God on his side the entire time. Uh, But Luke uses these people, uh, the Gentiles, the poor, women, children, uh, stereotypical sinner, all throughout his gospel to point to how God uses those people looked down on the point to Jesus. And today we are going to look at a pair of stories separated by hundreds of years that all point to this sharing a common theme of God's compassion. And kind of the main idea of this is today is how from high station to humble circumstances, God's compassion embraces all. So from high station to humble circumstances, 
God's compassion embraces all. And both of these stories deal with men struck with leprosy. But the posture of both of these men are vastly different. The circumstances of both of these men are so, so distinct. One we're going to see is a clear underdog in the story of Luke, and the other is all the way back in 2 King with a man named Naaman who is anything but an underdog by the world's standards. Luke's gospel is all about the underdog. But since we are in the book of Luke, I kind of want us to start there first. So uh, we come into Luke in the beginning of a lot of a big series of miracles. We're going to spend the next few weeks in Luke looking at these miracles. But the very first one is a story of a leper coming to Jesus. So if you have your Bible, uh, we're going to be in Luke 5. I'm just going to read it. We heard it on screen. I'm going to read it for us one more time. It says this, verse 12. While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell to his face, fell to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priests. Offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them. Yet the news about him spread all the more, so the crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew uh, to lonely places and prayed. So the big thing here is leprosy, which is a very common uh, topic that pops up all throughout the Bible, and it carries with it a lot of metaphorical baggage in both the old and new. The two cases we're going to look at represent our main point, but there are some frameworks I kind of want us to set up before we really delve into them. Remember, the main idea is that from high station to humble circumstances, God's compassion embraces all. And we can't fully understand that till we understand the true scope of the stigma of, in Jesus' day that dealt with leprosy and this idea of being clean or unclean. When we read Luke, the literally depth and impact is so much more and heightened as we understand the world Jesus was in. We can read the text and walk away from it on the surface saying, oh yeah, Jesus was a good guy. Wow, he healed that person. Or, oh, that's, that's a huge miracle. The person had leprosy, now they don't. Uh, and with all that is true, but it's so much more when you understand the full depth of why Luke talks about this leper as Jesus' first major miracle in this long series of miracles. And so the foundation of this is this idea of being clean or unclean. Now, being unclean isn't like being covered in color or shaving cream from tribal wharves. That's not what they're talking about here. It's this idea of being ceremonially clean or ceremonially unclean. Nothing really to do with how dirty you are or how much gunk you have on you. And you were considered unclean for a wide variety of reasons. Sometimes it was for touching a dead body, whether an animal or a person, uh, touching a bodily fluid, whether yours or someone else's, or even the act of sinning against someone would make you ceremonially unclean. There's lots of laws in the Old Testament that deal with this, uh, in Deuteronomy and Leviticus. And whatever it is, you were seen as unclean you were unable to go to the temple and worship. And that was a huge deal. Basically, a temple is where all of Jewish community met. It was the center of worship. It was where you interacted with God. It was where you did sacrifices. If you couldn't go to the temple, you were lost. And there are many stories in the Old Testament that account 
how things that are unclean just can't be in the presence of God. They essentially become eradicated in the presence of God. And in order to become clean, you had to do a wide variety of things depending on what made you not clean in the first place. Sometimes it was sacrifices. Sometimes it was payments. The most common was a ritual bathing in this uh, big uh, stone pool called a mikvah. You would basically strip down and wash your body, and that was how you made yourself clean. So it was more the ceremony of it, less of the physical act of it. It's kind of the, the seed of where baptism kind of comes from in our tradition today. But if you haven't guessed it yet, having leprosy was being unclean. And leprosy in scripture is kind of this vague, general description of a wide variety of skin conditions. Uh, so it's not very specific, but it encapsulates a lot. And leprosy meant you were unclean. And leprosy may or may not be one of the more famous conditions in the scripture, but I think it is one of the most potent written about throughout the Old Testament. And this is all the way back in the early, early years of human history. So their view on medicine and leprosy was very different than ours today. Um, and they associated leprosy with rebelling against the Lord. It was kind of a physical manifestation of the consequences of sinning or going against God's command. For example, in ex Exodus, when Aaron, the priest, and his wife Miriam were rebelling against God, God struck Miriam suddenly with uh, leprosy. Her whole body turned white with leprosy. And Aaron pleaded to Moses to ask God, hey, please forgive Miriam. And through the mediation between them, God told Miriam, hey, go out to the wilderness for seven days. And then when she came back, she was healed. It was a sign of their rebelling against them. It was a sudden disease. And leprosy today has a cure. Uh, through a series of antibiotics, if you catch it quick enough, it's an easily curable disease today. But back then, there was no cure. If you had leprosy, you were pretty much stuck with it. Uh, the only way to heal it was for an act of God essentially to happen. And you kind of start to see this connection between rebelling against God and leprosy a little bit. But there's a series of rituals and regulations that the average person would have to go through if they contracted leprosy. Uh, it's in Leviticus, typically in that point, when you're doing that read through a Bible in a year plan, that book where you typically stop, uh, it's in Leviticus. Uh, so it's not the most riveting reading, but I do encourage you they go back to it, it's Leviticus 13 and 14. But kind of the spark notes version of things is that you go to the priest and say, hey, I, have, I think I have leprosy. They would check out the spot, check out the skin, and they would decide if you were clean or not. If you were deemed unclean, they would take all your clothes that you would touch, pretty much anything you would touch, and they would go burn it because those things were now unclean and other people wouldn't want to touch it. And then they would say, hey, you have leprosy, go outside the camp outside the city for seven days and then come back to me and we'll see if it's healed. And back then, cities were built typically with walls, the major ones, for protection against invasion, and you had gates. So a lot of the lepers would end up kind of congregating outside the gates, outside the walls. They were cast out. And this sounds bad, but when you begin to realize, oh, leprosy doesn't really have a cure, they were sent out for seven days, would come back, and like, oh, no, you still have leprosy. And they would repeat this indefinitely. And so you would essentially be in exile for perpetuity, cast out of the city until the disease no longer spread, which typically took cost a limb or appendages. Uh, but Leviticus 13, 45, 46 kind of really paints the picture here, what it was like to have leprosy. Anyone with such a defiling disease must wear torn clothes, let their hair be unkempt, cover the lower parts of their face, and cry out, unclean, unclean, 
As long as they have the disease, they remain unclean. They must live alone. They must be outside the camp. So for your entire life, then from that point, you have torn clothes, unkempt hair, screaming, unclean, unclean, everywhere you go. Just imagine that's your life now. And you might think, well, at least maybe my friends or my family, they'll come to me and uh, take care of me. Typically not the case because unclean things always made clean unclean. Back in the Jewish mindset, if you touched anything that was unclean, you yourself became tainted. They were a little worried about catching leprosy, which you really can't by touching it, but they thought, oh, if I touch someone with leprosy, I'm going to become unclean and I can't go to the temple before uh, the Lord. And leprosy was even like more stark. There was uh, Jewish writings from some rabbis. They said, oh, for someone with leprosy, you have to be at least six feet away at all times. They even have a little amendment in there. If, if it's a windy, you have to be over 150 feet away from someone with leprosy. So that's the life you're living as. In the Jewish mindset, unclean always trumped clean. It was never, ever the other way around. If you haven't picked up on it yet, the circumstances that leprosy puts a person in sounds a lot like the consequences that sin affects us in our relationships. And this is why they're so often connected, leprosy and sin, they're linked. And it's why I think our stories we are talking today help serve as a catalyst to understand the compassion of Jesus and God and how we relate to that compassion. Because just like leprosy, sin leads to isolation, leads to a need of healing and reconciliation, and ultimately it makes us feel unworthy of God's compassion or salvation. So, these stories of leprosy, they help emphasize two aspects I want us to walk away with today. It's one, there are times when we come to God feeling unworthy of compassion and salvation. And there's two, sometimes we allow our pride to prevent us from receiving or giving that compassion. So, with all that background in our brain now, we go back to the story of Luke. It hits a little different, I hope. So let's, let's read again. Let's see if things stand out to us a little different here. In verse 12, it says, While Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. When he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I am willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. Then Jesus ordered him, don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest who resides in the temple and offer the sacrifices that Moses commanded for your cleansing as a testimony to them, to those laws. Yet the news about him spread all the more so the crowds of people came to hear him and be healed of their sickness. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So when we read now in verse 12 where it says, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. You're like, wait, Jesus, he's, okay, he's in a town. That's leper. You're not allowed to go into the town if you're a leper. The leper should not be here at all. It was strictly forbidden. It was a cardinal sin, if you may. It was risking a lot for this leper to take a step into a city or town where there was people who viewed him as, if I'm within six feet of this leper, I become unclean. Yet he walks in the town and worst, he approaches Jesus, a rabbi. We see immediately that the leper is risking a lot to come here. He is never under any circumstances, supposed to be in a town. 
let alone talking to Jesus. Yet he risked it all to ask Jesus a question. But when you think about what does he really have to lose? You imagine this person with torn clothes, unkempt hair, possibly has walked, people have walked by him for years and years, him just screaming, unclean, unclean. He has hit rock bottom. But he's like, okay, there's a chance this Jesus is true. And so Luke writes, when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Leper shows his humility and reverence to Jesus as soon as he sees him, putting himself in a position of vulnerability and submission. He knows that he is an outcast. He knows that he is unclean. He knows what he is doing is outlawed, yet he also knows that Jesus is capable of doing something that is miraculous. And I loved how uh, Jürgen Moltmann describes Jesus' healings. He says, they are not supernatural miracles in a natural world. They are only, the only truly natural things in a world that is unnatural, demonized, and wounded. They're not supernatural in a natural world. They're only a natural thing in a world that is clearly broken. And you notice he doesn't, the leper doesn't ask Jesus, hey, can you heal me? But says, if you are willing, he has a faith in the capacity of Jesus' power over sin to make him clean. He doesn't just believe that Jesus can do it. He has a confidence that Jesus is capable. But he asks him, hey, are you willing to do this for me? And Jesus does the unthinkable next. It says he reaches out his hand and touched the leper. I am willing, he said, be clean. He touches the one you're never, ever under any circumstance supposed to touch. If this was any other man, Jesus would immediately have been deemed unclean. He would have been tainted and sullied by this leper. He would have been tainted with leprosy, with the stain of isolation, yet the impossible has now become possible. Instead of becoming sullied by the leper, Jesus' mighty power over sin and death brought cleanliness, brought health, brought life to the one he touched, who has probably not felt the touch of another human being for months, if not years. And the thing is, lepers were seen in the eyes of Jewish people as dead. And so Jesus essentially brings this man back to life. Jesus demonstrates that no person is unworthy of receiving his compassion. Literally the lowest of the lows, the biggest underdog possible, who has had a desperate faith in Jesus, was shown compassion. This is leper's faith. I think Moltmann also describes this faith very well. He says, it's a faith that causes not rest, but unrest. Not patience, but impatience. Those who hope in Christ can no longer put up with reality as it is. Peace with God means conflict with the world. As those who have access to that same compassion, I hope we can approach the Father with that level of faith. A faith that sees the reality around you and says, okay, this, this isn't right. This isn't, this isn't what the world's supposed to be. I'm impatient. I want things to change and going to the Lord and willing to face that conflict with the, going to the Lord, willing to face the conflict with the world of that faith draws. The leper serves to represent to Luke's audience. All people are worthy of God's compassion. 
Imagine you are a Jew hearing this for the very first time and you hear that Jesus touched the untouchable and he was healed. That's miraculous compassion. And once we have experienced that compassion, I hope we are moved to mirror that to other people. God's compassion is available to everyone. We have the ability to experience and I hope that pushes us to let others experience that as well. Is there someone we can show compassion towards, a willing to cross that uncrossable boundary and touch them, bring them new life? And so we learn from the leper in Luke's gospel that God's compassion really does embrace those of humble circumstances. God uses leprosy in a multiple of ways to demonstrate the compassion, and the story shows just what that looks like. But there's also another side of God's compassion that's not just for those in humble circumstances, but those with high standing for the privileged. It also highlights this next story, this, how leprosy, just like sin, can only be healed by the intervention of God. And so, we, I mentioned earlier, we go in hundreds and hundreds of years back to another story in 2 Kings with a man named Naaman. And you might be wondering, okay, why, does, why is Naaman being brought up here? Well, actually, a chapter or two in the Gospel of Luke, Jesus alludes to the story of Naaman. So if you're reading this Gospel from uh, beginning to end, and especially if you're a Jew, this story would be fresh on your mind by the time Luke's leper shows up. And Naaman is not a Jew, he's an Armenian army commander. So a different nation, uh, different religion, different God, but he is a man living with leprosy. He is described, though having leprosy, as being a prominent man and commander and respected by his king and lord. He commands vast number of men, and this is an anomaly by any, by any country's standards, because leprosy still was always looked down on no matter if you were Jew or not. But he wasn't a Jew and he didn't know about the Jewish God or uh, God until a humble Jewish slave girl uh, mentioned to him that, hey, there's a prophet in Israel who could heal you of your leprosy. And though living with leprosy, he still had a lot of success in life. He's the man who may have been struck by it, but he's still the king's right hand. He's still seen by his peers as being a powerful figure a legion of men look up to him. By all accounts, he is successful. Yet, if he knows it or not, there's this lingering issue that is keeping him down, a desire to be healed. He might not realize it, but he wants this leprosy to go away, and he has been given an opportunity, ironically, through the lowest possible person, a humble Jewish slave girl. And so, uh, Naaman heads off to Israel, and being the man of uh, privilege and power, he actually incorrectly goes to the king of Israel first, because he thinks, oh, I'm powerful, I have prestige, my healing will come through someone else who has power and has prestige. And, and one of the few cases of a Israel, king of Israel uh, doing a smart thing, that very rarely happens in the Old Testament, he's very wise, and he calls out Naaman, he says to him, am I God? Can I kill and raise someone from, from death? I don't have that power. Why do you come to me uh, seeking the cure of leprosy? Because if we remember, it's impossible to have leprosy healed by another person. No man can heal leprosy. It's only through an act of God, a miracle for that to happen. And so we start to see Naaman paint a picture of someone who, by all accounts, has his life figured out, but is blinded by ignorance and his pride 
that he can heal himself with enough power, with enough force, a pride that the works of mankind can lead to restoration, a mindset of maybe I recognize that I have an issue, okay, I recognize that I have leprosy, but my life is going well. Like, do I really need to go to God? Do I really need God's compassion? My life is pretty good. I have, I have wealth, I have power, I have influence, whatever it is. He would argue, I don't need God's compassion. Compassion is for the weak, therefore, I'm not weak. I don't need it. But thankfully, Elisha, the actual prophet, who actually has the power to do something, hears a story and sends a messenger to Naaman. It says here in 2 Kings 5, 8 to 10, when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robe, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man, have Naaman come to me, and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Elisha sent a messenger to him and said, go, wash yourself seven times in the Jordan and your flesh will be restored and you will be cleansed. And so to paint the picture here a little bit, you have Naaman, this army commander, likely has a entourage of chariots following him with men who look up to him with power, with wealth, with money. He has traveled to this tiny nation of Israel who at one point in the days of King David and Solomon was a mighty nation to be feared, but now has been broken in two, is always seeking the protection of a larger nation, this very humble little nation limping along, summoned by a prophet because he incorrectly went to a king who he thought, that, oh, the king has the true power. And this prophet who is likely living in a very humble dwelling likely doesn't have the riches and wealth of a king. And Elijah actually offers to pay him at one point. And Elijah's like, I don't want your money. I don't, money's not why I'm in here. But Naaman goes to him. He's summoned by this person who he sees as less than. And what does Elisha do? He doesn't even meet him at his door. Elijah sends a messenger to Naaman, someone else to go open the door. And granted, I'll just be clear, uh, hospitality is a huge deal in this area of the world. And so the fact that Elisha sent someone else to greet this guest who was by any standards much more powerful and much more prestigious, he sends a messenger. And Naaman's response is anger. He is furious at this. It says that Naaman went away angry and said, I thought he would surely come out to me. He'd stand and call out on the name of the Lord, his God, wave his hands over the spots and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned off and went off in a rage. So Naaman is angry for, I think, two big reasons here. One, he wasn't treated with the respect that he felt like he deserves. And two, that the remedy for his healing was way too simple, way too humble. He was a man of success. He had reached the pinnacle of society and deserved the respect of this man of God. Elisha's cure was to do what? Go in this dirty Jordan River and take a bath a few times? That can't be. There are way more majestic and powerful and glorious rivers back in his home, but this little river and this tiny, humble nation is where he's supposed to be cured. To be healed of such a life-altering illness like leprosy must take more gravitas than taking a bath a few times in this Jordan River. And it made me think as I read this that sometimes we see is forgiveness restoration, 
compassion, salvation. Is salvation from my past transgressions and sins really as simple as putting my faith in God? I mean, shouldn't I have to do something to earn God's love? Shouldn't I have to give something to receive that compassion? Shouldn't I have to work on myself before I go to God and receive that compassion? Shouldn't the healing miracle, the forgiveness of my sins, be preceded by a story matching of the shock and awe that my life was before? Naaman represents the opposite side of the spectrum of these men with leprosy. While Luke's leper approached God and Jesus with humility, Naaman approaches him with a posture of pride. If God's compassion embraces all, this story underscores that all are in need of God's compassion. From the lowest of lows to the highest of highs. We become blind to the need of the compassion of a loving father so easily. I mean, from the outside looking in, you may appear to have everything together and everything is going your way. You may think, I don't need God in my life. I'm doing pretty well. Yeah, I might have this lingering issue, but everyone says I'm successful. Everyone sees me as this or that. But we all have something, a lingering condition that yes, we may be successful, but we are not really experiencing life as fully as God desires for us. And there's one final point as we wrap up here today, and is that why Luke has a healing of the leper as the first of many miracles in his gospel. One of the things I failed to mention earlier is that while lepers uh, was pretty relatively common in the days of Jesus, the healing of leprosy was not. Uh, talk about two stories here. Naaman being the first, uh, that was the only recorded time leprosy was recorded in the Old Testament outside of Miriam's story where it was directly given to her and directly taken away. The second time is in the New Testament of this story when Luke talks about the leper healed. In the case of Naaman, he was a non-Jew and that's, that's pretty important. He wasn't bound and under the, the law of God and his story points to a greater truth of how God's kingdom and kingdom of heaven is open to all, all nations, not just the Jews, but the kingdom of heaven will be filled with people of all races and all creeds. What makes Jesus' healing so important that it is the only time in all of human history and Jewish history that there was a Jew healed of leprosy. The distinction is important because the laws laid out in Leviticus had a very clear instructions for what was supposed to happen if someone was ever healed. That's why at the end of our uh, reading today that Jesus sends the leper to the temple to go follow the rules that Moses had set out. So imagine for a second, you are the priest in this temple and this man walks up to you and says, hey, I just got healed of leprosy. I'm here to do the thing. And he's like, the what? He's like, oh yeah, I got healed. And the priest is like, uh, okay, where, where do I find that? I wasn't trained this in my, in my tutorial or in my uh, welcoming to this job. And he's like, I have to consult the text for the very first time in all temple and Jewish history. Okay, what am I supposed to do now that someone is healed of leprosy? Jesus is sending a huge, huge message that will have ripple effects all through the nation of Israel that the Messiah has come. This is one of the few signs of the Messiah that points to something drastic happening. It was a tangible representation of the intangible sign of salvation from our sins. 
Jesus' ministry has arrived and is about to shake the very fabric of reality. The supernatural will now be natural. This is why when the followers of John come to Jesus in Matthew, he says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sights, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. It is why in Jewish tradition, before the Gospels were ever written, in the minds of Luke and Jesus and the Jews who read this, there is a rabbinic text that says, when will the Messiah come and by what sign may I recognize him? Elijah tells the rabbis to go to the gates of the city where you will find the Messiah sitting among the poor lepers. The Messiah, what is his name? Say to say, the leper scholar. As it is said, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did, not, we did esteem him a leper, smitten of God and afflicted. The irony is that Jesus made the unclean clean. The irony that is, is he did willingly take on our sins, willingly did take on our afflictions for us. And for us, Jesus has proved that he is the Messiah, the one who can, the one who will, and the one who has saved us. The question for us then is, are you willing to accept that compassion? Not after you have done this, not after you have done that, but are you now able to accept the compassion that God has extended to you? Because somewhere on that spectrum of humble circumstances to high standings, you were included in that. All people are worthy of God's compassion because worthiness is not based on you. It is based on God's love. The mightiest and the most powerful are embraced by God just as much as the humblest and lowest are embraced. You don't need to come to God after you have found redemption but we go to him for that redemption. Do not let your pride keep you from coming to Jesus and do not let your feeling of unworthiness or dishonor come you, keep you from coming to Jesus. He has literally already done the impossible. He has made the unclean clean. And as we move on uh, to some worship, uh, we have a few people who will be in front of the stage. Uh, if you need prayer of any kind, this is, this is the time to come. Because as people who, as Christ followers who mirror God's compassion, they want you to come to the Lord. All things, no matter what it is, God has offered compassion or forgiveness. It's a place not of, of judgment, but of love. We want to show that compassion to you. And it's not gonna solve it overnight, but this is the first step to accepting and believing that God's compassion is for you. Maybe, it's, maybe you just want to pray for someone who you haven't shown compassion to, who you thought, oh, they don't deserve God's compassion because they have more or they've done this. But if we truly believe that God's compassion is for the humblest all the way to the highest, let's live that out in our day to day. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this week's message. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. 
we invite you to connect with us. If you'd like to give to this ministry, you can do so at welcometomosaic.com slash give. Have a great week.